Coast 104.5. Thank you for being up in Adam in the morning. My name is Adam Montiel. On the phone, Ralph Collier. We have sought his expertise over the years on this show as we have talked about a shark incidents here from, God, I remember that one guy with the shark bite out of his board. He brought his board in here to, I mean, we've had, we've had Ralph on the show a bunch. Ralph Collier is the Shark Research Institute. He is by far a leading expert in this field. And uh, the shark, uh, the folks of Shark Week, the Discovery Channel, use him for his expertise. Ralph, it's great to have you up and at him in the morning again, my man. How are you? I'm fine, Adam, and thank you for having me on. So we got a lot going on here, and you know we're almost 20 years since the last time a great white shark has had a fatal incident with someone. And one thing that we always establish: it's not us they want, right? I mean, these are exploratory bites that just happen to kind of do a little bit too much damage to our bodies, right? They don't don't really want anything to do with us, do they? Well, humans are not on the menu. Uh, We're we're not an aquatic animal. We're terrestrial, and therefore we're not something that's in the environment that the shark would come in contact with frequently. So we have to remember that just because we know what a surfboard is, just because we know what... Uh, jet skis are and things like that doesn't mean the shark has had contact with it. And usually most of the incidents, as you mentioned, are what we call investigation, where the shark is unsure of what the object is. They swim up, they check it out, as divers refer to it, and then the last thing they'll do to see if it's edible, of course, is take a test bite. That's normally what most of these incidents are. However, uh, the wounds that this individual sustained um, are pretty graphic, and it appears as though due to possibly water visibility being very limited, that the shark only saw a vague, shadowy silhouette at the surface. And we have to remember, animals in nature... It's not like you and I pulling into a, a, a fast food place and driving through and picking up our lunch. These animals are moving through nature, and when a series of events occurs and it's potential prey, they strike because the opportunity might not present itself again for some time. In 2003, oh. the Avila Beach case, the woman was swimming with uh, the seals, the, the sea lions, she had a wetsuit on. I believe this gentleman had a wetsuit on. Does that almost make it more likely that you look like a, a pinniped or a seal and make you, make you even more inviting for that investigative well, bite? Well, it can, but we have to remember something now. Uh, these sharks are very successful. They've been around for about 350 million years plus. So they're, they're not a group of animals that are just coming on scene. So they're very heightened. Their senses are very heightened to finding prey, the, the thing that's most important to them. So when a shark looks at a pinniped, what does he see? He sees an animal that's solid from the tip of the nose to the hind flippers. He sees an animal that moves very gracefully through the water. Um, sees an animal that has short, stubby little fins to propel itself through the water. Uh, When he looks at a human, what does he see? He sees an object that's solid from head to waist. From the waist down, we're split in two. 
We have two long appendages, our legs. Our arms, when compared to a pinniped flipper, are long and spindly, and we do not move gracefully through the water. So when a shark in clear water sees a human, they generally are pretty sure that we're not a normal prey item, but they still might investigate us because we're moving in the environment, and they want to know if we're edible. But sharks are very, very astute at what they do, um, which is to find food and reproduce. So fascinating. Ralph Collier from the Shark Research Institute. We're going to come back with him, ask him, I mean, because look, we're seeing, we got more sharks now. We're seeing more pinnipeds now. And are there things we can know, maybe things the shark is doing and saying um, with its body language to let us know it's this is about to happen? I don't know. Ralph does know. We will ask him these things when we come back. It is Coast. It is Up and Adam in the morning. Coast 104.5, thank you for being Up and Adam in the morning. On the phone, Ralph Collier, the Shark Research Committee. He is an expert on sharks. And to see, I've honestly loved my conversations on the air with Ralph over the years, but also off the air, I feel like I've learned an absolute ton. Um, Shark migration. What have we seen? We've seen numbers of great white sharks increase. Of course, that's a good thing. Um, is it because of just conservation? And then the pinnipeds, we're seeing those increase. Is that why we're seeing more sharks? What do we owe uh, to shark migration and the increased numbers? Well, the, we have two uh, mig- migratory patterns that are established for uh, the Pacific Coast of North America. You have a series of animals, a number of animals, that move uh, up the Pacific Coast, uh, some as far as Oregon, uh, Washington. Uh, then they'll come down, uh, and they'll be around the Farallon Islands, and they go out to the Mid-Pacific. And then some, frequently a number of them will go to Guadalupe Island down in Mexico, and then they will come into the shore Baja and move their way again north back up the Pacific Coast. And this cycle takes about two years for females, and it seems to coincide to where the females will pup in Southern California uh, from Point Conception south down into Baja. And we know this based upon over 50 years of data from fishermen, from uh, tagging results that we have. So this is nothing new. The juveniles tend to stay, those sharks that are less than seven, eight feet in length, tend to stay south of Point Conception. The water's warmer. It doesn't take as much for them to generate the heat that they need to to uh, be mobile and chase down their prey. Um, the larger animals, they move north of Point Conception throughout the year. And we know for a fact that the population of white sharks has increased. They've been protected now for 25 years. Uh, so the, their population is going up. And the reason that we don't have the, the effects on them as we had many years ago, commercial fishing is limited now as far as those animals because white sharks are protected. Um, the other thing that we find is that their food supply, the adults, uh, prefer to feed on pinnipeds, seals and sea lions, and their population has skyrocketed to the point to where uh, in excess of 400,000 pinnipeds 
now reside in the state of California. So that's a great deal of available food for an increasing population of sharks. So they don't need to search out food because the pinnipeds are scattered all along the coast. Yeah. Um, They're now in places where we never saw them years ago. Yeah, you know, growing up in Southern California, we go to Malibu, Zuma, and maybe you'd see a dolphin here or there, but it was really few and far between where you would notice something like a sea lion or especially a seal. Here on the Central Coast, moving here, they're everywhere. I mean, Morro Bay, of course, they're, you know, they're all over the coast here, and they're beautiful from San Simeon, and we really have a very, like, robust livelihood for these animals on the coast, and I'm wondering... If that mixed with water temperature, does water temperature and it being cooler play a role into them just being more sharks around? Well, the, uh, you have to remember uh, any predator, if you want to find a predator, you find its prey. Uh, if you're looking for a lion, go to water holes on the Serengeti or follow the herds of wildebeest and Thompson's gazelles as, as they move through there. That's where you'll find the apex predator that's that's using that animal as a source of energy. It's the same thing with with these large white sharks. It's easier for a white shark to consume a pinniped than it is to chase down a halibut or a bat ray or something like that. But we need to remember that a white shark diet doesn't, uh, doesn't exchange food. By that, I mean some people believe that white sharks stop feeding on pinna, on uh, fishes, when they reach about 9 or 10 feet in length. And now they become a marine mammal predator. What happens with the shark is that the white shark diet is based on two components, availability and capability. What prey item is available and what is the shark capable of capturing? A five-foot juvenile white shark swimming off an elephant seal beach has plenty of available food, but it's not capable of capturing it. So the white shark diet, there isn't a shift in the diet to where they stop feeding on fish. All the, that takes place is the diet expands because now the shark is capable of capturing a 250 or 300-pound pinniped, whereas when it's 7 and 8 feet long, it can't do that. So when you find this situation, are you almost able to learn maybe aspects of the shark's size and age based on why it was feeding where it was? Well, what takes place when we have these incidents? Uh, Back in the mid-1970s, I developed a methodology where we can determine not only species, but size of the animal based upon what I refer to as tooth interspace measurements, the distance between uh, the teeth and the shark's jaw. Uh, Because the size of the teeth is a function of the shark size. We know that as this spacing between white shark teeth increases, the size of the shark increases. So by taking specific measurements and knowing the dentition of the animal, uh, which helps us uh, determine what teeth were involved in the bite, because not all teeth in a shark's jaw are utilized when they bite something, just like you and me. You might take a nibble of something where you only use your front teeth, the same is true of a shark. So, but by knowing the dentition and having these measurements, we can determine the size of the shark uh, within about a foot of its length. 
All right, we're going to come back, ask Ralph Collier a few more specific questions to this Christmas Eve incident. Also, are there things we know? Like, I think of a skunk. A skunk will, you know, pat its feet. It'll look at you. It'll hiss. It'll do like this, this like regiment of things before it stinks you. Uh, does a shark do the same thing? We're going to ask Ralph Collier that. He's a shark expert with the Shark Research Committee. It is Coast 104.5. It's up and Adam in the morning. Coast 104.5, up and Adam in the morning. On the show, Ralph Collier. He is from the Shark Research Committee. He has been on this program many times over the years as different things happen here with relation to sharks. Often it's the great white shark that we are talking about, and we haven't seen a fatal incident. Uh, you know, we don't even really call them shark attacks because it's really not the shark attacking, as we learned in the first segment. These are, um, like Ralph plainly put it, and that, that's what I love about you, Ralph, is that you are so smart in these fields and you are such an expert, and I'm sure to contemporaries you could speak the language and the vernacular, but when you come on a show like this, you just put it so simply to understand. And uh, I think that really takes a pro to be able to to talk to people at different levels of uh, understanding on a subject and still be able to get through to them. I, I find that really a talent and uh, a blessing. So thank you for that. Oh, listen, thank you. It's my pleasure. I, I find that it's easier to speak English than it is to speak science. Yeah. <laughs> Amen to that. Not many <laughs> understand science. Yeah. Especially um, on morning radio, for sure. <laughs> exactly. But but most understand English, so. What do we know of this uh, recent shark attack Christmas Eve? Um, I know there's still some things under wrap. I think the autopsy is being done literally today. Um, what what do we know? Do we know the size? Do we know the specifics on this white shark yet or what? Well, the, the odds are, um, in fact, I'm, I'm not even going to say odds. I'm going to say that the the animal that was involved in this incident uh, is a white shark. Uh, I can't tell you size yet. Uh, a lot of the information is being withheld until the Parks Department, their investigation unit, and the sheriff and the county coroner have completed their investigation. Uh, after all of this, I'm sure there will be a press release, and at that time uh, we'll probably be able to provide a little more information uh, to to the public. But as of right now, out of consideration to the victim and his family, uh, we're we're kind of keeping it quiet. Are you working with the authorities, either formally, informally at all? I know they sometimes heavily lean on your expertise during these incidents. Well, I can, all I can say is to my involvement is yes. Okay. <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, was, this, was this gentleman in, in more peril because he was on a boogie board other than a surfboard? Um, I, I can't say yes or no to that. Uh, we don't know. Uh, my guess is based upon uh, the injury sustained that the shark did not have a good visual image of, of the subject in the board. Uh, it's not uncommon uh, for sharks to swim in and around surfers. Um, I have seen... 17, 18-foot white sharks swimming along the coast down in San Onofre yeah. right underneath surfers. Right. They never even knew they were there. Yeah. 
Um, oh, you see the drone footage. It's fascinating. We saw it in Pismo yeah. Beach. You guys sitting on their surfboard waiting for an, another set, and literally a white shark just swirling the, the group. Yeah. It, they're, actually, what takes place, and this is something that would be very difficult to, to determine scientifically, but there is some conjecture, some thought, that these sharks being puffed in Southern California and having the uh, activity in the ocean that we have with so many surfers, bodyboarders, stand-up paddleboarders, um, swimmers, um, all of these people, that the sharks actually, because they learn and they remember, um, it's possible these sharks are teaching themselves that this object that, in this case, let's say is a surfboard, after they check it out, they're going to go, well, I'm really not concerned about this. It isn't food. Mm-hmm. It isn't anything that's going to harm me. So I don't need to even worry about it. So they swim along the coast looking for their prey. Yeah. And just because we're there doesn't mean the shark is there checking us out as much as we're there while it's looking for food. So they will move in and around things. They're very curious. They'll come up, um, had a paddle boarder years ago at Pacific Palisades uh, that was chugging uh, down near uh, Bill Rogers Beach and happened to look down in the water, and here was about an 18-foot white shark swimming right alongside of him. And he turned on, the shark rolled over on its, on its uh, starboard side to the right and looked up at the guy, and the guy said he could see its eye moving in the head as it looked him over, oh and it righted itself and swam away. Yeah. So I really think a lot of these incidents have to do with environmental factors and or it could be a reflexive response to factors in the environment where a series of events take place and the shark strikes out because uh, it has to make a split-second decision. It sees something at the surface. It moves the way maybe a natural prey would move, and they strike it. Once they realize it's not what they thought it was, they release it and swim off. Ralph Collier is a shark expert from the Shark Research Committee. He's been on the show many times over the years and talking you know, with some specificity about what happened on Christmas Eve at the pit. Um, in Morro Bay. Big story, fatality shark incident. Haven't seen one of these since like 03. We're going to ask some really interesting questions to Ralph coming up about things we may notice, things that we could probably clue in on. And, you know, would he be getting in the water here? What do we need to know? What do we do if we see? I think we're supposed to punch it in the face. Is that right? We're back with Ralph Collier. Coming up, it's Coast. It's Up and Adam in the morning. Up and Adam in the morning. Ralph Collier, shark expert, is up and Adam. Let me ask you, I'm very curious. With everything you know about sharks from a scientific perspective, are, are surfers, are they dumb to get in the water here on the Central Coast in Morro Bay, in Montana de Oro, where we've seen these occurrences? Would you get in the water? Well, yes. Um, here's the thing we have to remember. These are very, very unique and unfortunate events that are very tragic. Um, and my heart goes out to this man's family and his friends. Um, 
they have my thoughts and prayers. But we have to remember, as an example, this past year, worldwide, uh, I'm also the director of the Global Shark Attack File, and worldwide, we only had 100 fatalities. Now, stop and think, what other avocation, what other sport can you think of, or any event can you think of, that has as low a mortality rate when you look at the size of the group that is being, that's being analyzed. In yeah. other words, we have ocean user groups that consist of divers, surfers, swimmers, kayakers. How many tens or hundreds of millions of people worldwide go into the ocean every year and present themselves to the potential of a shark attack? How many are there? And we only have 10 fatalities. More people die every year in the world from coconuts falling and hitting them in the head. Wow. <laughs> but we don't, we don't see statistics on that. Um, these are horrible events. It's unfortunate. But when we look at these events compared to other activities and the potential for a serious accident, um, it's minimal. It's weird that we were talking earlier in another segment about just how alive the coast is here on the Central Coast with marine life. And, you know, earlier this year I was interviewing two women who literally saw the inner lips of a humpback whale. I'm not sure if you saw that story or that video for crying out loud. I mean, just to have these two stories in one year, and that was just south of us in Avila Beach. Avila Beach was the home of the, uh, the last shark fatality uh, in 03, you know, um, I'm curious that some of these animals, let's say, and I, I likened them to like skunks, you know, a skunk comes on your deck or your dog sees a skunk and the skunk is going to do a, a regiment of things before it sprays you. It's going to pat its paws. It's going to look back. It's going to hiss. It's going to do these things before it says, okay, now I'm going to spray you. Do sharks do like anything like that? Do they swirl? Do they nudge? Are you supposed to punch them in the face? Like, what, what are some things we can look out for on a presupposition to what may happen? And that if we do have a moment that we are able to go, oh, my gosh, that is a shark right in front of me, what should we do? Um, first, sharks do have agonistic displays. Uh, that's when a shark, you invade uh, the animal's territory, as an example. Uh, Don Nelson, a very dear friend of mine, um, the late Don Nelson, did experiments with gray reef sharks where uh, he took a submersible and would go into their area, and they would start uh, swimming erratically. They would hump their back where they looked like a Halloween cat. Uh, they would drop their pectoral fins uh, so that they were pointing down. And that was a display from the shark to Don and his submersible, you're in my area, I want you to leave. Um, Unfortunately, with these displays, if you're a surfer and a shark is displaying underneath you, it's giving you a warning. Um, and by the way, uh, we have on film a white shark doing something that is a display that's never been photographed before, and we're going to be providing that um, in an article that we're publishing here pretty quick. But um, they do display, but if you're a surfer sitting on a board, you might not see it. So the last thing a shark will do, if 
this is a displacement behavior. Displacement meaning where you've invaded the shark's territory, where you're, you're perceived to be a threat, the shark will strike out at you. So those things they do, but we might not always see them. There's some things you can do to minimize the likelihood of having a shark encounter. Um, if you know there's a pinniped fallout or rookery site, don't, don't swim or surf in that area. Uh, you're, you're basically potentially asking for trouble. Um, and granted, that's going to be a difficult thing to surf where there aren't any seals. Um, the other thing you can do is uh, don't, uh, if you're swimming or uh, surfing, I recommend that you don't wear any jewelry. Jewelry in the ocean flashes uh, with sunlight and could attract the attention of a shark to come over and check you out. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it's common sense, Adam. Great points. Ralph Collier, he is of the Shark Research Committee. I always appreciate your expertise, your time, and your friendship on the air, Ralph. Uh, thank you so much for chiming in with us and being up and at him in the morning, sir. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, Adam. And you take care and have a happy new year.